It's another Tuesday evening on 97.3 City FM and this is the show that's dedicated to technology conversations in Ghana and we try to bring the global conversation right here to the local level. This is City Trends and my name is Father Pashon. City Trends of course is sponsored by First National Bank. They are asking a very simple question. Why let your business settle for less when you can get a lot more from First National Bank? That is the very simple question they are asking. Go beyond banking with a digital partner that understands your business. Let your business bank the better way with a business account from First National Bank. The First National Bank business account is more than just a an account. Um, it's a portal that gives you access to tools designed to propel your business to the level that you want it to be on. This includes features like the award-winning online banking enterprise, the straightforward um, global payment solution and trade solutions and merchant services. You can choose an account that suits your particular sector. No matter what sector it is, they have you covered indeed. So, go ahead and um, visit firstnationalbank.com.gh and opt to have um, one of their consultants call you back and you can basically, you know, get everything sorted on the phone. Alternatively, um, you can just download the app really and um, everything will be sorted out for you. Um, they, you. You know your business. You know your business the way you want it to. And basically, First National Bank is the is the bank that will help you to get to that next level so why don't you go ahead and have them help you out first national bank ghana is a subsidiary of the first run group of south africa first national bank how can we help you so we do have a very packed show for you today um on the show today we speak about two like really really big topics um within the tech fraternity both home and abroad the first one has to do with a bit of a debate on 5g and its connection with covid 19 the global pandemic um some say um basically 5g is the cause of covid 19 some say it's simply a trigger some contend however that um it will basically end all life on the planet earth um some also say that it would basically change the dna makeup in your body um and it's kind of scary so we decided to try and get some understanding of what exactly was going on and so we'll be doing exactly that on the show the second topic we have for you today um, has to do with a mobile app that was launched by government um, yesterday, which is the COVID-19 tracker app. Today has gained a little more explanation as a symptom tracker app. Um, so we'll be trying to understand what exactly this app is all about, what it does um why you should even consider or if you should consider downloading it um we'll also be trying to understand what the security implications of the app actually are um if there are any and what you should be looking out for and what should you should basically understand before you go to the website that has been offered and the link that has been offered um for you to download the app from um that is basically going to be the meat of the show we will not have any segments on the show today because these two topics are pretty meaty so we'll be um having those conversations on the show today so um you can join us with your thoughts and your comments on uh whatsapp number zero five four nine nine eight six nine nine six um alternatively you can reach us on um 
Twitter using the hashtag C-I-T-I-T-R-E-N-D-S. So the WhatsApp number once again is 0549-986-996. You can send in your questions if you have any so we can try and address them for you on the show. All right, so we're getting straight into our very first topic, COVID-19 and 5G, drawing the lines. We're trying to see what kind of lines you can draw, trying to get the best understanding possible about what 5G actually is, what the implications are on for you, um, why, you know, all this big debate and everything and just trying to bring you as much understanding as possible my my guest in the studio um joining uh, joining me through the power of um, a telephone line um fortunately he can't um, be with us in the studio for obvious reasons um so david david go is a telecommunications consultant and um he's he has been in the game for quite a bit um he's done quite a lot um with himself and um he he joins us with a lot of expertise to share um about the topic and um it's it's really really good to have um david join us um for this discussion david if you can hear me um thank you so much for joining us on the show hello david Hello, David. Hi. Okay, so we seem to be having a bit of a challenge connecting with David at this present time. So we will try to get David back on the line in just a bit. Okay, so hopefully um, this time we're going to get David on the line. David, um, if you can hear me, good evening and thank you so much for joining us on the show. And good evening to your listeners. Ah, brilliant. This is this is great. Um, thankfully, uh, we have connected with you. So, um, as I said, David, uh, David Go is a telecommunications consultant. Hello? And David, um, so let, let's start off from the beginning. Um, a lot of people really don't um, understand what this whole 5G business is all about. Can you? Hello? Yeah, David, if you could hear me, can we start off from the very beginning? What exactly is this whole 5G business all about? Hello. Yeah, David, can you hear me? Okay, so we will try and establish connection with David once again. Really sorry about this.
Okay, so we're going to try one more time to get David. Um, David, um, Guru, can you can you hear me now? Hello, David. Can you hear me now? Well, looks like the phone lines are not being very kind to us today. Unfortunately. So we're just going to try an alternate line to see if we can get through to David. Um, and so, you know, we can get this conversation going. Really sorry about that. Um, yeah, that's why we always like our guests in the studio. But unfortunately, we can't get David on the phone at the moment. We are trying an alternate line to, to David. And um, when, once we get through to him, we will put him through. But this issue of um, the 5G and what exactly it causes and the health implications and the health hazards and everything has been um, a big issue globally. Um, lots of stories um, in so many different places um, across the world where people are burning 5G masks and people are causing so many disruptions and there's a lot of misunderstanding. And so David um, is basically going to join us um, to give us some perspective about what exactly this whole 5G thing is all about and why you shouldn't basically join along on the bandwagon of believing some of the things that you know you, you hear and read about so david thank you once again for joining us i do hope you can hear me now yes brilliant good evening and good evening to your listeners appreciate appreciate you joining us on the show so david let's let's start off from the very beginning um basically what exactly is uh, 5g and why is this such a big deal right 5g technology is a new technology that is coming up. It has already started in the West and China. And it's a technology that is going to open the pipe for us to have internet and have high-speed internet that can help us to do a lot of things that we are not able to do today. But, you know, with every new technology, we also get people who come up with a lot of theory. So the 5G technology is, because it's a new technology and there's an ongoing conversation, with COVID-19, some other people are also adding their own theories to it. But from a technology perspective, 5G is a new technology that gives us 10 times more than the speed we have today from 4G. So I'm going to give you some background. So in Ghana, we started using mobile telephony from 1992. And the first network that developed this mobile telephony uh, or started rolling out this mobile telephony is uh, Millicom or Mobitel. So then it was called 1G. Then in 1996, a new technology came up uh, called uh, the 2G, which now we started using. And the first network that started 2G is uh, was uh, Space Phone, now MTN. I was lucky to work with Space Phone in the early 2000s where we deployed 2G network. It is this 2G network that is widely deployed in our country today. Then, when we, when we started 2G, we got to a point where we started introducing data. The first data we introduced onto the mobile phone then was the DPRS, 
from GPRS, then we moved to Edge, and then there was a high demand for data, and there was a new technology that came up called the 3G. So the 3G basically started, you know, giving us data on the phone. People were able to use the smartphones, and then, you know, we have the iPads and all that coming in. And new networks like Airtel came up, and then a lot of our local operators started deploying 3G. After 3G deployment for about, um, you know, five years, then we move on to a new technology that, because of this high demand for data, a new technology called 4G came up. And 4G now provided a speed that to give us opportunity to be able to even do video streaming and all that. 4G is what we have now. In Ghana, we have a local network operators running 4G, like Surfline and Busy. Uh, uh, we also have MTN and Vodafone also running 4G. That is why today we can have people, you know, having live video streaming and all that. 5G is now coming as additional technology, uh, additional uh, speed or a new technology that gives, promises us to give us high, high speed, 10 times what we are experiencing now on, on 4G. With 5G, uh, for example, a typical example, within a square kilometer, we are expecting that 5G can provide connectivity to a million devices. You know, it's supposed to give us opportunity to be able to connect remotely when it comes to um, uh, health services. So there'll be a doctor here in Accra, and the doctor can connect with another doctor in a sampling and will be able to conduct surgery or guide people to conduct some medical uh, procedures. Then when it comes to education, we can have a lecturer in the University of Ghana that will be broadcasting live lectures that people sitting in Dabluku will be able to connect and will be able to ask questions and everything will be clear. And then so many other things. Now, the other thing that will give us maybe some add-on, which I don't expect now, is the so-called wild um, um, driverless cars, where you know, there'll be no drivers and cars will move, you know, um, uh, and pick, like the way you have the Uber picking from home without a driver and taking you to the next destination. So, in a nutshell, this is the journey we've been um, going through from uh, 1992 when we started with our analog mobile 1G, and now we are on 4G and we are preparing to go to 5G. So it's been a great journey and I'm sure quite a number of people who are doing the listening have been on that journey. Um, I remember very well in SS how excited we were to be able to get um, internet on our phones and things like that. But it's it's been a great journey, yes, but why is it that 5G seems to have so much negativity surrounding it? Is it that bad? Right. So I'm going to give you maybe another um, journey that the world all over we've um, uh, we've evolved over the period. So in 1760, that is the 18th century, Great Britain um, started what we call the first industrial revolution. In this industrial revolution, in the past, not what we see in the past, you know everything that you know. Our clothes that we wear, everything was done by manual, you know, teaching and everything. Then the first industrial revolution 
started, where they started, you know, um, uh, using machines to to assemble things and do things like that. Then we moved to the Second Industrial Revolution, where the United States, led by uh, Henry Ford and others, started using you know uh, these machines that started in the French Revolution to manufacture vehicles and uh, other things. And what the energy that was being used then was electricity and oil. Then when we moved to the third industrial revolution, that was where we started seeing computers in the 80s and electronic devices. So um, Japan, United States, Britain, all these countries started using electronic devices and IT started. But something new came up called the internet in the 80s and the 90s where the internet now started connecting a lot of these computers and devices. Now, the demand for the use of the internet over the air interface has become uh, so high that we needed a technology that can provide high speed. So in your office today, you have Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi is basically a connectivity of uh, a LAN connectivity of uh, um, fiber optics to your office and, and it's connected to a router and that router broadcast or connect your phone and then you're able to get Wi-Fi. But everything that moves on the air interface for communication is frequency. So the 5G frequency has been moved to um, a higher frequency that is free because all other lower frequencies are currently being used. So we now move to a higher frequency from somewhere 18 gigs to, to 70 and 80 gigs where we have enough bandwidth able to, you know, transport data on the air interface to your mobile phone or your mobile device. I see. Now, if this transfer is obviously faster, um, you can transfer much more probably, why is it that everybody's so apprehensive about it? Why is it that people are burning masks and things like that? Is it, aren't we supposed to be very excited and celebrating, you know, all these new um, interventions that are going to make data speeds much faster? Why all this apprehension? Why are people talking about um, people's DNA um, being um, changed, people and basically um, COVID-19, for example, being caused by 5G? Where, where, where is all this coming from? So, uh, so I'm going to separate these two. So the first one is the conspiracy theory that uh, they've, they've been happening, uh, you know, even if you go back for example, I'll give you a typical example. In the year 1999 to 2000, we had what we call the Y2K bug. The Y2K bug basically was that the computers that we had at that time they were programmed to um, uh, identify the date as, for example, 1999 is identified as 99. 1980 is identified as 80. So, Computer scientists were worried that when we moved to the year 2000, the computers will not recognize 2000. So they thought there was going to be a, a, a big calamity and then computers will stop working and we'll be in a big trouble. So the conspiracy theories also latched onto this and they said that, okay, this is the time for 666, the world will come to an end and uh, we, we will all die by the year 2000. I got caught up in that. I was in Kumasi then, and um, I told my, my elder brother, I was living in Bangsma, I told him that, look, I'm going back home 
because the world will be coming to an end. I will go. I want to go and die with my people. So I'm going back home. I got to home. I, you know, I boarded the bus. Went. Got to home. Okay. To cut a long story short. The year 2000 came. Nothing happened. 20 years on, we are still here. So anytime there is something that is very huge coming, people also put together stories that look very similar. And then they come up with this story. So the frequencies that are being used for 5G, these frequencies are being resistant and are being used for so many other things that are not helpful to human beings. We call them non-ionizing frequencies from a frequency that we, we, we use for radio, like 97.3 megahertz, is a frequency. It does not kill people. The one we use for 2G and 3G and 4G, they don't kill people. The one that we use for that we use currently for 5G, it doesn't kill people because they are all non-ionized. What it means is that those frequencies, when they come in contact with your body, they will not alter your DNA or they will not change your tissues or your cells. This is, this is the reality. Now, these frequencies are already being used. i give you a typical example. Your microwave oven that you have at home uses the frequency 2.4 gigahertz. That is what it's used. But the same 2.4 gigahertz is being used by your Wi-Fi which is used 2.11 Wi-Fi. The same frequency, but the, the energy that the microwave you know, uses is way less than the energy that your Wi-Fi is using. I'm not saying people should go and pull off their Wi-Fi because it has never been causing anything to do and to not cost anything. So this is how we use frequencies. We use frequencies for different things and we, we actually power them to either provide high speed or low speed. Wow. <laughs> Which makes me really wonder. I mean, yes, there can be conspiracy theorists and there will be a few people who might believe it. But it's often, you know, just people, you know, having conversations about it. But there's been action towards it. There there have been masks that are being burnt and things like that. Surely there must be some truth somewhere in it. Okay, so uh, like I mentioned, we have this conversation today and hopefully we pray we are all alive. In 10 years' time, we will be using 5G and this time we will not be having a phone conversation where we may have connectivity issues. You will be seeing me live and I will even be, in, I will look real like I will be in your presence, right, using this technology. Now, Africa needs 5G more than the rest of the world. Simple. The reason is that we don't have a lot of uh, internet connectivity through the fixed line. Most of our internet connectivity are through the mobile connectivity, i.e. The, the, the MTNs and the Vodafones and the rest of the network FTGO that we have. Most of the subscribers um, connect to their network through the mobile network, the air interface. We don't have cables connected. At home, I have... Wi-Fi fiber optic coming to my house connected to um, uh, you know our our uh, Wi-Fi network router. So I'm able to train, but most people will not be able to do that because they are using the shared resources that are provided by the cell site. 
What 5G is trying to give is to open up the pipe and give you more internet speed so that everybody can have enough internet to be able to do anything they want to do. I see. I see. I see. There's also an organization um, that monitors the radiation of these, um, uh, um, you know, technologies that we come up with. Um, this organization always measures. For example, in Ghana, we have an organization called the Radiation um, uh, the Radiation Protection Agency, or something like that. That measures our radiation every time for a new site to be deployed. They go to check the, the, the radiation level when the site is deployed. After that, they check again the radiation level. So radiation, every time I do check by the National Communication Authority to ensure that the emissions coming from the cell site are not affecting anything or they are within the acceptable threshold. Okay, well, David, thank you so much for all the clarification. But um, I guess my final question to you is, when you have all this negativity, obviously a lot of people will be worried, and it's understandable that they'll be worried. Um, where, where, where should our government probably be positioning themselves in terms of the 5G conversation? Because obviously there are a lot of benefits to it. But then if people have already started talking about the negative sides of it, then it will get some people worried. But how should government be positioning itself with regards to 5G conversation in order for us to be able to have probably a seamless transition into 5G to bring as much benefit to the people as possible? Uh, we need education, education, education both um, in our local languages and also um, print media and the good work that you are doing from CTFM, for example, this interview gives us the opportunity to clarify. If you go to our website, www.iipch.org, we have uh, uh, explained this to the details, the frequencies that are available, uh, the benefits of 5G and all that. We have a full statement there. Those who can go there, they can read about it. And um, the National Communication Authority last week Thursday also issued a statement clarifying that 5G does not cause any emission or any harm to the human body. However, um, uh, they keep uh, uh, checking the radiation levels all the time for all existing frequencies that we are using for several things. Uh, and and they are ensuring that they are within acceptable limits and they are not causing any harm to us. I want to add that um, as a developing country, one of the things that will help us to bridge the gap is to embrace technology, not to be afraid of it. So if we don't embrace technology, in the next uh, 30, 40 years from now, we will still be behind. So um, all over the world, when new technologies come, uh, countries or continents try to embrace the first uh, industrial revolution by Europe, second industrial revolution, and third industrial revolution by, by America. Now China is wrestling America to get the fourth and uh, the fifth industrial revolution. That is why the 5G conversation has um, become so important. Now, for us, what we need to do is to make sure that we use these technologies um, as a basis for our own development, 
for example, a typical success story of deploying technology is when we deployed 2G in the 90s and early 2000s. After some after few years, we now have the mobile money, and the mobile money is riding on the same technology that we deployed in the 1996 and the 2000 and the early 2010. Now, with 5G, we just have, we don't know there are limitless opportunities that will come, and our local uh, innovators will come up with solutions that will help fix some of our problems. But the infrastructure we need is high speed, and high speed in Africa will be guaranteed to use 5G. Well, David, thank you so much for, for, for giving us all this um, clarification. Um, um, Rosemary from Caswell says, I should ask, um, please, I read on social media that when 5G was tested, birds fell from the sky dead. Can you ask your guests? No. Um, so, like I mentioned, people can put a lot of things together to make up a story. Now, um, there are two organizations that the standards for new technology that come up. The first organization is called International Telecommunication Union. The second organization is called 3GPP. Now, these two organizations actually set the standard. I was supposed to enroll for a training in 2017 when 5G started. And the standards ensure that safety is the first thing that is considered to make sure that any technology that is introduced does not affect human beings negatively. So far, all studies that have been done, there has not been any definite conclusion on radiation causing any type of disease so far. A lot of them are all inconclusive because there, there has not been any specific thing that you can find uh, that the ionizing frequencies that uh, are causing any harm. They are not causing any harm. So this bad story, again, they are like the white shooting story and other stories that we've heard in the past. All right, David, thank you so much for making time to join us. Um, David um, has been our guest, um, giving us some insight into um, these conversations about um, <laughs> basically what 5G is. Um, and some of the conspiracy theories that have been flying around. Quite a number of you have also um, sent in your messages, messages and we'll be coming um, to those in just a minute. Our WhatsApp number is 0549986996. We are now going to jump into um, the tracker conversation or the COVID-19 tracker conversation today. There's been a bit of clarification um, about that. It, uh, it's a symptom tracker according to the communications minister. But um, a few messages. I don't think 5G is a trigger for COVID-19. However, the frequency at which it operates has quite serious health implications just as several other technologies which is the radiation spacing including x-rays, microwave and others. Many of the illnesses humankind suffers uh, or suffer can be attributed to unhealthy radiation. Again, I don't think 5G is a trigger for COVID-19. Otherwise, it would have begun in South Korea as they deployed it first in 2017. This coming from Echo in Doyumu. Um, 
we have some other messages. Good evening, um, Philip, but we'll come to this one because it has to do with the app. Um, good evening, Philip. It's unfortunate people are so fixated on speculations, the passion to easily embrace conspiracy theories without any effort to do some basic fact-checking leaves much to be desired. 5G um, is here to make life much easier. The relevance of 5G spans across all industries. Hence, should we properly introduce and understood the transition from 1G through to 2G, 3G, and 4G should tell all pessimists a better story than relating it to COVID-19. That's coming from Kelvin Lochu um, in Guasso. Um, please, and, and we've already read Rosemary's um, comments there. So, the COVID-19 tracker app um, or the COVID-19 symptom tracker app um, was launched um, today. It uh, was launched yesterday. And um, basically, it's gotten a lot of people talking. Um, but we 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 have um, just a couple of minutes to, to, to delve into this. But we're going to start off the conversation with um, uh, a software engineer who has been basically doing a lot of work within um, the software, um, uh, the software engineering um um conversation his name is hadi mukaila he's a software consultant with over nine years of um, development experience with web and mobile um, development and integrated security systems as well um basically he's done a lot within the sector for over nine years and so i had him have a look at the app um use the app experience the app and so he's joining us now to give us a sense of what he feels um, the app is really about and what it actually does. So, um, um, Hadi, if you can hear me, um, thank you so much for joining us on the show and good evening to you. Yeah, good evening. Thank you, and good evening to your listeners. Yes, um, Hadi, um, it's a real pleasure to have you. So, Hadi, you have gone through the app. You've seen the app. Um, yes. Tell us about the app. Okay, so basically, I think the app is more of a questionnaire it tries to assess your likelihood of contacting the disease based on some responses you give to some set questions. So these questions are a set of questions that are also available on other platforms. In fact, before the launch of this particular app, I'd already used an app with similar set of questions. So basically, the app tries to find out some of the places you have been to and then ask you some questions about some symptoms to see if you, you stand any risk or exposure to the disease. Yeah, at the end of it, or you don't have any response or like any information as to whether you have it or not or how risky it is for you, but I'm quite sure there's some tracking at the background being done, probably like to government or other things. I mean, so when 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 you look at it, um, do you, when you look at what needs to be done in terms of contact tracing and what the app says it does, do they have a meeting point? Are they is it fit for purpose? That's an interesting question. Thank you. So I think the the you know we are in a time where we need to explore all available opportunities, especially using technology. So to some extent, this is good because, for instance, if your risk assessment is quite high, information could be sent so that you are traced and then, like, tested. So at one angle, I think it does that, but there is so much still to be done. At least for the app that I had a test of and then the name I saw, COVID-19 COVID tracker, I was expecting something, like, a bit different, something more sophisticated. So, for instance... I was thinking there could be some real-time geolocation tracking 
So that, for instance, if, if today I enter a bank, let's say at 9 a.m. I'm at a particular bank, and then tomorrow it is reported that someone has tested positive, and yesterday at 9 a.m. that person was at that same bank, the app should be able to tell me that, look, yesterday you were at this bank at this particular time, somebody who was there at the same time has tested positive, so go check yourself out. These were some of the things I thought I would have seen, but I think the app as we have now is more like a simple survey and hopefully it should be updated hopefully they should do some updates you will mostly ask don't like come in off the shelf with time they get updated and things i see well finally before you you take leave of us um people have expressed misgivings about the app um and especially with um, conversations about them of permissions and things like that um, that it grants um, people have talked about for example the fact that it's not available on the app store and yet you know people are being encouraged to download it and f if what the minister of communication said today was anything to go by we have in people in excess of about 4,000 or more than 4,000 people I'm um, downloading the app how how does that sit with you as a software engineer um, you know an app that's supposed to be national or nationwide or used by all people across the country you know it does it sit well with you so when i first came across the permissions this app was requesting in fact i was like i was really really surprised and then later on i downloaded the app again and realized the permission were only one now which is location management so currently the only permission on the app is location management but the first permissions i saw like things that were very much unrelated to this that was it, it actually drew my attention to something to find out the company behind it if they are a Ghanaian company or not and then like some of the the privacy implications so with with that regard in terms of permissions first the permissions i saw were not the best, but now, as we speak, the only permission on the app is a location manager, which I think is fair enough. I see. The, the, the second, the second mm -hmm. thing about being on the Play Store, I think since the pandemic started, there's been so much like misinformation and other things, and some of these misinformations are in unofficial apps. So both the App Store and then Google Play Store are trying to like filter out these apps. I think that's one reason why this app in particular hasn't been there yet. If you try checking for COVID-19 on the Play Store, it only shows you the WHO app, the WHO app. So maybe that's why this particular app isn't there yet. Well, thank, thank you, Hadi. Thank you, Hadi, for uh, for that clarification. So, um, thank you. That, that was Hadi. Um, he is a software engineer and joined us um, briefly to give us his assessment of the use of the app. And very interestingly, between yesterday and today, um, the number of permissions that the app actually requests has been reduced drastically. Someone is paying attention. But the other side of the conversation has to do with the security side of it. And people have um, have their own thoughts about it. But before we get into the security conversation with um, our cybersecurity analyst, let's hear from um, the Minister of Communication at the launch of the app yesterday. And listen out carefully to some of the things that um, the app is supposed to help you do. And um, think about what my guest um hadi said a couple of minutes ago which is all the permissions being limited to just one which is location um so here is the minister of communication esla also talking yesterday at the launch about 
um, basically what the app is supposed to do. And then we'll come to the security side of the discussion in just a bit. The Ghana COVID-19 tracker app is being launched through the visionary leadership of His Excellency the President and his Vice President, Dr. Mahmoud Bahumia, who has also joined us today through the same technology. It is one of the tools being used by the government of Ghana to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic to help keep us all safe. We need accurate data to know where the virus is and is heading towards, to be able to fight it swiftly and in the most efficient way possible. Just as has been done in other affected countries around the world, such as South Korea, Taiwan, Israel, Kenya, China, and to a limited extent in Europe and the US. Among the many functionalities of the COVID-19 tracker are detailed contact tracing of individuals. We're fortunate by virtue of the executive instrument 63, we can use a platform of all the telecoms companies. Frequent contacts by an individual can be traced through various telephone related data. The purpose of this, for example, is when a person becomes infected, we can backward trace their contacts through telephone records and location history provided by such records. This helps provide a base to discuss contacts with a health professional so that the individual does not forget any people or locations that they may have been to. This can also serve as a guide to determine if somebody needs to be quarantined based on their contacts and locations that they have been to. The information provided can include any foreign travel, frequently called numbers, or friends of friends. As detailed above, the tracker can also provide information about people that were at the same event, same location, same country, or other defined location-based function as to where they may have spread as a group over time so that we can follow them if indeed one of them tests positive for the virus. It can also provide information about periodic lists of telephone numbers or individuals that are currently or recently have been in certain countries around the world to the immigration department for possible use in determining whom to provide an extra layer of screening. This will come in handy when our ports of entry reopen as they are bound to in time. If certain individuals are also required to self-quarantine, the tracker can provide information on the relative reliability of the quarantine. That is, if the individual is complying 20% or 80% within their current quarantine area or is going out to Accra Mall to shop and come back, as has been noticed with some of those who have tested positive currently and have been asked to self-isolate. Unfortunately, not all of them are following the self-isolation guidelines and some are behaving as if we are in normal times and are going out hanging out with friends and possibly infecting those as well all the measures that have been put in place are for our own good and we really ought to respect them if we are to have our collective peace of mind 
The features of the application also aid in checking for COVID-19 symptoms and relevant risk factors. It answers frequently asked questions, subject geographical location, and provides digital assistance as well. Let me reiterate the fact that the system's data is encrypted such that no personal information, name, ID, or address is recorded on the platform. We are mindful about the privacy of the potential victims and of all of us. All right, so we heard the minister there. Lots of things that the app is supposed to do, but currently it's just one permission, location. Interesting. But anyway, I'm joined um, on the phone line by the head of cybersecurity at Quantum Security Solutions, um, Ash Dasmalchi. And Ash, thank you so much for making time to join us on the show. Um, so you heard the minister there. You have basically gone through the app from a security standpoint um how does what she says sit with you with regards to what the app looks like now yeah good evening to yourself and your returning listeners um so yeah as your earlier guest also suggested the app for the time being appears to be uh, just a set of questionnaires um despite the terms and condition which mentions that uh, it is supposed to track your uh, GPS location as well as access to your Bluetooth. It appears that the current um, access uh, requirement is not exactly matching that. Um, in regards to uh, what the minister mentioned in, uh, in regards to the encryption of the data and the personal information, uh, this uh, very likely it is true. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have access to the system, so we cannot uh, verify whether this is correct or not. However, we can see that, uh, of course, the submitted data on the application, uh, as you go through the questionnaire, your phone number, your email address, does get sent uh, to a, a remote uh, server location, which happens to be on, on Amazon. Uh, so that's outside the Ghana jurisdiction as well. I mean, there's, there shouldn't be too much there to worry about, uh, but that's just what the application currently, that's how it's currently operating. Um, so, I mean, there is a question, of course, in, in regards to privacy. Um, this app, uh, I mean, there, there are very similar apps in the world. But there, I think there's around 20 or 25 countries across the world which are now, uh, they're all either using their own in-house developed applications or they're using some form of open source applications. And, hey, with all this stuff, there's always a question of privacy, and especially when government is involved. Uh, everyone, everyone's concerned about what the big brother is collecting and what they're doing. Uh, one issue that I would personally take with this is the terms and conditions uh, for this application as well, which does uh, mention that they can change any term at any point uh, without uh, sort of notifying the user as much. Uh, they, they said they would make the best effort to notify the user. So that to me is a little bit scary, but uh, it's not really collecting much anyway. Uh, you know, it just... I think it's, it's a good start. I was actually having a discussion in one of these sort of WhatsApp groups that we had. Uh, it's a good start. It still needs some work. Um, it is something to be embraced, like we were saying with the 5G and all these other technologies. Uh, people should embrace this kind of stuff, definitely. 
uh, does address a lot of concerns for people who actually have no idea if they have uh, the coronavirus or not. So through the questionnaire, they can actually find it. Uh, the, the problem is that the user doesn't have uh, sort of the permission whereby they can submit that data or not. So they cannot opt out. Let's say if you actually go to the questionnaire and it does come at the end and say, yes, you are high risk, you do have coronavirus. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any explicit permission whereby the user can actually choose uh, so give consent if they want to submit that data or not. And the other issue as well is that they, uh, the data is not stored locally on the device itself. So whatever is submitted actually goes online. Uh, so that's from the security standpoint of view, I would say. Someone would ask, like, what's the big deal if the data is not stored locally on the phone? So the issue with that is that, you know, there's always a big question of what is, who's going to do what to my data? You know, where is it going? Who's going to have access to it? Of course, we have we can have all the, all the reassurances in the world that no one's going to use it for marketing sales or anything else. Uh, but in the earlier version of the application, of course, we saw that they were sort of collecting a lot of data. Now it seems to kind of drill down just to the location. Um, we have no idea. But again, we are, we are talking about a governmental entity here which I'm sure, as a friend of mine was mentioning, that if they want to have access to your phone number and your name and your email address, they can easily find out. Uh, that's not too much of an issue. Uh, I mean, in Ghana, I've seen people are not very privacy conscious, uh, so it shouldn't be too much of a problem. However, the, the, the fact that the app is currently being uh, served only via uh, the website, which is ghcovid19.com, and not via the official app stores, and it's definitely not via the IRS. I don't think the IRS is ready just yet. Uh, they have made mentions that they will release this very during the week. This does, this does uh, add a little bit of doubt for myself. I mean, I didn't download directly to my phone or download to a test environment. Because uh, bear in mind, uh, as you upload your app to the uh, stores, they also do a series of checks as well to make sure the app is uh, doing what it's intended to. So right now, it's, it's it's only downloaded via this website, and the website itself, frankly speaking, is not uh, secure in the sense of it doesn't have HTTPS, which again doesn't mean too much, but does mean that someone can actually sit there and inject a malicious uh, application mid-transaction should they have access to your, to your connection. So that's another uh, concern as well. What, from a security standpoint, what probably should government be looking at um, in terms of making um, this app more effective and much better for the population? Uh, so from a security standpoint, so we should be able to uh, make sure that the sort of third parties cannot access the communications of uh, the app, the, sort of the uh, back end, which seems to be the case already, uh, even though it is going to Amazon servers, but it is going through an encrypted channel. Uh, so they also should make sure they have a limited collection of, uh, collection of personal identifiable information, uh, which doesn't seem to be the case right now. So a lot of the apps which have been launched across the world, uh, I think Singapore is one which is kind of leading this as well. And they even made the version of the application uh, sort of uh, open source so that the rest of the world can use it. So they make sure they collect, the data they're collecting actually is anonymized in a sense why that they can actually just use it for uh, analytics, perhaps notify the person if they've been in contact with anyone else in the past 14 days or so. Uh, with this one, I'm not quite sure, because again, we don't exactly know uh, how the data is processed 
on the back end. Uh, the other one, like I was mentioning earlier on, the, uh, the encounter histories, if there were to be the encounter histories, like the early uh, guests were saying, if you were to go to Accra Mall and the app is now tracking your location and someone was, you know, walking in, a, in, in your sort of vicinity and they, God forbid, they had coronavirus, that whole data should be stored locally on your phone and only be uh, uh, your consent be given for that data to be shared, not that it automatically opens up to the Internet. So that, because that, again, that basically becomes a citizen tracking application. Uh, and then at the end, it should also, the user should be able to have control over that personal data. So they, they, when they withdraw the consent, any data which they had previously submitted, it should all be uh, ceased to link to that user and it should get wiped. Uh, and on top of that, from a technical standpoint of view, uh, we actually have uh, I mean, the limited access we have, which was just the app itself. So we opened up the app, looked inside. There seemed to be a lot of default uh, sort of off-the-shelf uh, settings that haven't changed as much. You know, as far as even there was mentions of uh, things like www.example.com. You know, so it looks like to me that uh, the development of the app itself was somehow rushed and it didn't go through the usual thorough checks. Uh, but hey, we are dealing with a, a pandemic here. Uh, any help, uh, any little help, it does assist us, it does assist the citizens in Ghana. So it is something to be embraced. Uh, but of course, it needs just some more work to be done on it. Uh, to give that reassurance. Well, Ash, we are grateful. I was going to ask, is the app fit for purpose? Uh, right now, it's just a question, to be honest. Uh, I've seen other similar apps that they do the Bluetooth uh, tracing, so they use uh, your Bluetooth signal on your phone. Uh, I actually mentioned that in a sense of condition, that like your Bluetooth should be on, your GPS should be on. So if the Bluetooth was to be used, uh, then it would be fit, fit for purpose in a sense that actually it tracks your location. Uh, the other issue is, well, this app is only right now available on Android, uh, and that's via the uh, App Store itself. And we know the smartphone penetration also in Ghana is a bit tricky, uh, and also we have a lot of people who use iOS. Uh, so it has a very limited uh, exposure, I would say, and um, as has been mentioned by, uh, I think it was a ministry in, in, in Dutch, that these kind of apps only would be successful if you have a 60% of the population downloading them, i.e. if you have a mass amount of data going to these systems and now you can start predicting and contact trace and all that kind of stuff. So unless we get to that scale, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's, a, it's a missed shot. <laughs> well, Ash, I am grateful for your time. Thank you so much um, for making time to join us on the show. Well, you, you heard that. Um, from from a software engineer point of view, from a security point of view, um, quick message before we go. Philip, I've used the app. It really fell short of my expectations. There is simply no validation of the data entered. Its, uh, its purpose as a tracker is also defeated, defeated because you can enter wrong credential, credentials and it grants you access just like that. I doubt the ability of the administrators to make any informed decisions from user inputs. Thank you so much for your comments coming through. That will be all for today's show. I do hope you've enjoyed it. Um, um, the show will be available as a podcast um, tomorrow. Um, so please look out for it. Um, download and take a listen. Again, if you have any questions, make sure you send it through our, um, our Twitter handle. Um, just you know, send us using the hashtag CityTrends and we will give you all the necessary answers. We are joined.